mic, camera, action. Hello, boys. Not saying a word till I see my lawyer. Think back. The village of Krum. You killed a guerrilla commander. His name was Hussein bin Amir. Do you admit? Fuck off. You're kidding, right? You commanded a company there. Yeah, that a company on that up, sure. Yeah, you assassinated Hussein bin Amir. Your witnesses. You dropped him in front of his family. All right. You got me. I did it. Hmm? Fuck you. Good one. Now I'm timing. Get up. Hey! Piss off! We have what we need. What have I told you? Somebody else dropped your gear like a commander. His name is? I can't remember. But he's writing a book about the whole Amman gig. You might find it in there. If you could read. <laughs> to the bathroom. Welcome back to the Filmography, the show dedicated to watching every credited film from an actor's complete back catalogue from past debut through to present day in chronological order. Each episode, I'm joined by an esteemed guest to watch and discuss the next entry from the Focus Filmography and discuss how it ranks amidst their career and whether we can trace any typecasting trends or topic traits or theatrical ticks. For episode 27, I'm joined once again by Stath superfan Glynn to discuss the 27th big screen appearance of the Stath alongside Bobby De Niro, no less, in the 80s set Killer Elite. We watch, you listen, and hopefully watch along too. So, Glenn, thank you for returning to the show to discuss a film that is not without controversy, thanks to the opening intertitle claim that this is based on a true story. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if it's a true story, eventually the, the official sequel cycle will lapse and they'll be able to tell you the the, the full details but yeah i mean certainly some people have agreed it is some people haven't there's even rts people who've said that it's true but yeah it's a really interesting one i didn't know that the first time i watched it obviously i've delved into the research side of it for this and reading about the Feathermen, the book that it was based on and the supposed secret group and it's quite a fascinating like secret society and and, and story like, as you said like we do have this, is it 100 years, I think? Is it once things are 100 years past, you, it, it can be revealed, isn't it? I'm trying to think, because the bank job covers it, don't they? They cover something that's not allowed to be spoke about, but that's come out since. So yeah. I'm sure it's 60, 60 odd, maybe, something okay. like that. So you're talking 2040, something like that. All right, okay. So maybe, you know, when we come to do the state filmography revisited, we'll have the official word on whether this is true or not. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy that Ronald Fiennes is, is the person who's responsible because obviously everybody knows who he is. He's in the Guinness Book of Records and everything. So. That's it. And, of course, related to Rafe and, and Joseph too. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is obvious, but I didn't even really think about before either. That, you know, They just have the same surname. It doesn't mean they're related. Lots of people are called Smith. Lots of people are called Jones. Lots of people are called all these different names. But, um, yeah, it's funny how like so often these extended families go on to do like big notable things isn't it well they're also related to prince charles as well ah i didn't know that are they i think uh, i think ralph Fiennes is like his eighth cousin or something i don't even know how eighth cousin works but apparently yeah uh, he's, he's charles's eighth cousin ah that's interesting so rafe and joseph are in line for the throne as well way way down the line i mean yeah i mean i'm i've got i think i'm related to Amberlynn, so i think everybody's in line <laughs> for the throne somewhere but i'm about seven million for something in line <laughs> yeah, for the throne so. sure all right fair enough so it's unlikely it's going to happen for you unfortunately a lot of people would have to die for me to become king of england i think <laughs> there'd be some big changes there if you got the role i'm sure yeah definitely i mean i 
the the monarchy sort of drilled into it in the military, but hmm. I, I respected the Queen, but I don't really have that level of respect for Charles. I think he should have just let William take over, but he's such a, a mummy's boy that he just wanted his, his go at the throne, I think. I think he'll abdicate in a few years anyway. Yeah, he needed his time in the spotlight, didn't he? He'd been waited so long for it. Yeah, he's he's far too much of a, a spoiled mummy's boy to have not took his chance of being king. Um, so I was trying to find a segue there, but I can't. I don't think there are any sport mummy boys in this movie, unfortunately. But um, maybe in real life, but not as characters. Killer Elite. I know you're a big fan, which is why you're here talking about it. And I had a yeah. really good memory of the film. I was looking forward to this one, thinking I really enjoyed this the first time I watched it, and I won't reveal my ultimate thoughts yeah we'll do yeah. that as we go but um what is it about this film that you like so much uh, i think it being based on special forces is a big pull for me because i've got mm-hmm. links myself so and I, 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 I just because jason stavens i've not i don't dislike anything he's been in so mm-hmm. uh, for me it's just a, a win-win situation and i absolutely love anything that's based on a true story as well any movie that's based on a true story I mean, the first thing I noticed was how many like names are in this film. To be mm. honest, there was there was a lot of big, quite big names in this film. Yeah, so we've obviously got Robert De Niro, we've got Clive Owen, and then as you said, like watching it back again, there's people who maybe weren't as big at the time, but have gone on to be sort of noted and and had success in TV and movies since, isn't there? Even somebody like Yvonne Stravowski is the the love interest she was you know in chuck at the time but she's gone on to be in handmaid's tale and be a big actress in her own right but yeah there's ben mendelson is in it isn't he as well there's a load of people right yeah he, he was barely recognizable ben mendelson i certainly mm-hmm. i didn't know who he was the first time i watched this movie definitely and uh, obviously dominic purcell i'm a massive prison break fan so i think these were probably about the, around the same time when he was getting movie roles because of prison break yeah, that, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Because it's not long after Blade Trinity as well, I suppose. A few years after Blade Trinity, isn't it? Yeah, a film that everybody hates, but I also love that movie as well. Well, I don't know if you know, but I was in Comics in Motion trying to defend it against 20th Century Geek Scott. So, um, yeah, I I don't I, I don't hate it in the same way everyone else does too. Well, I mean, I'm a massive Ryan Reynolds fan as well, so Blade mm. Trinity had everything in it for me. So Ryan Reynolds' humour was, was one of the biggest selling points of that movie. He's just... I don't know. He's just brilliant. I, I just do love him. I support Rexton now because of him and stuff like that. So yeah, cool. In terms of the the draw for you, you said like the SAS stuff, the special forces stuff. How accurately depicted do you think that is in this movie? As it's supposed to be based on a true story, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, the Brecon Beacons March—that's definitely a thing. That's that is the selection process, and. Uh, I mean, I've got a really geeky fact about that. that it's set in 1981, the movie, but they had 1985 combats on in that scene. So, yeah, <laughs> you're on IMDb, IMDb trivia, adding it to the list, right? Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot of trivia on this. I tried to research into how much of it was true, like were the assassinations true, or was it just the Featherman side that was true? Mm. But I couldn't really find out any of that information. No, I felt the same. You know, researching through, looking through some. Yeah, I even read an interview with. Um, with Fines, with Randall Fines about the movie and the make the writing of the book and how they're related, and he keeps his cards quite close to his chest as well. So yeah, there really isn't that much out there, is there? No, there isn't. No, but uh, sorry, I should have really spoke more detail about how realistic it is. I don't think there's any way Jason Statham would have gone to the SAS base. Like, it, I just don't think that's possible. I don't think he could have snuck onto that base. No. The fact how, how fast they responded to him being broke down is quite realistic because it would be that quick. I, I spent some time on the main gate as a cadet of an RAF base and they are straight on to anything that looks a bit weird. So mm. that that's that's certainly true. But they're too well guarded, do you think, or too well? They're just too well guarded. I mean, CCTV might not have been that sort of mm. bigger thing with it being so long ago, but they, I mean, he, he looks at the SAS truck as it's coming round the bend so how did they not see him in the lights of the, <laughs> the Land Rover if he's looking at them so yeah it's interesting isn't it because we can always find these like little nit- nitpicky things um which maybe they haven't thought of at the time or the more you watch it you notice them don't you I I thought there because you mentioned the setting like it being 1981 I don't know how much that matters really I know that's when they're 
the true story happens. But in terms of this version, I think they could have just done it modern day, couldn't they? I don't think their 80s setting really mattered. Well, the first time I, I watched this, I definitely wasn't aware that it was set in the 80s. That, that didn't even come to mind. It's only because I've looked into it. And then when you're thinking about it, there's no modern cars in it either. So mm. it should have really been obvious that it was set back in the 80s. But first few times of watching this, there's no way I got onto it being set in the 80s. No, they don't really make the most of it, do they? I think, you know, obviously it's a bit of fashion. And as you said, you're right, the cars. But other than that, they, they felt like there was some some other things they could have made more of, couldn't they? So, you know, even if it was just soundtrack or or to delve into the, like, as you just mentioned, like CCTV, to delve into like the lack of technology then, they could have made more of it, I think. Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, thinking about it, it's so obvious that the car's dead old, but I wouldn't have been interested in stuff like that the first time watching it, thinking, oh my God, look how, look how old that car is. It must be, I'd have just been enjoying it first time around because I'd have been quite young. Yeah. There was a TV show on Channel 4 uh, recently. I think it was called The Cursed. I don't know if you watched it. No, I don't know what's that about. So it's about a group of people who, um, they do like a heist in a in a warehouse and they find a load of gold. So they decide to take that at the same time. But the gold is like cursed. So like bad things keep happening. And then obviously, and then in the second season, not to spoil it, they run away to Spain and obviously the curse kind of follows them. Um, but that, really makes the most of its kind of that 80s setting and the 80s vibe and i think i think that is something that they they missed it that's a ch- an opportunity that was missed i think yeah they usually do play a lot on if something's based in the 80s they, they do usually play on that a lot and mm. but as you say i don't think it made any difference i, I could have watched this if it was modern day with modern mm. cars i don't think it would have it wouldn't have made any difference to the movie no i wonder if maybe Obviously, other than the fact it's a true story, I wonder if other they, they wanted to distance themselves from the Bourne movies because this was definitely influenced by them. I, I thought anyway. What about you? Yeah, were they out around about the, around the same time? Really? This feels like yeah, maybe maybe the trilogy had been done by now. I think Ultimatum was maybe a couple of years before this. Right, so everyone would have been trying to sort of. Use that one because Shooter was very born like as well, and there's a lot of films trying to use the Bourne to, to sell the franchises. I think, yeah. They don't, one thing I thought about this movie is they never establish who Danny is or who any of the team are, they don't talk mm. about where they've come from. I would assume they were special ex special forces, but I, I'm not even sure if Danny's supposed to be American or not. No, no, I think reading about it, he's supposed to be Australian, which is why. When he retires, he goes to Australia. Oh, right. I just assumed he'd gone to Australia to hide out because he was British or American and that was the last place people would look. But yeah, because you can't tell by you can't tell by his accent. So No. Yeah, me too. Again, the first time watching it, I would have assumed that, but then watching it again this time and paying a bit more attention to some, you know, lines and things. We have the the moment with um with Yvonne Stravowski's love interest, don't we? where she says, like, oh, well, when we were growing up together or when we were younger and we first knew each other. So he obviously has previously at least spent time in Australia. I'm such an idiot, yeah. I've just realised they talk about being kids together, don't they? So, yeah, he is Australian, plus the Australian have the SAS, which is very similar to our SAS, because obviously it's part of our Commonwealth, so that Mm. would make sense. The other point is, though, if he is ex-SAS, there's no way under any circumstances he would go after his own. It's just mm. something that wouldn't happen. So I was kind of hoping that that isn't who he was supposed to be because that would make the storyline even like less likely. I, get, I, I mean, that's really interesting insight. I guess that's what makes it controversial, if it is true, if you know what I mean, that, that somebody who was, yeah. I guess, would do that, isn't it? It has that extra layer of controversy, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I, I was through the whole film. Now you've said it, it's, it's blatantly obvious that he's Australian. But through the whole film, I was thinking, what well, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't go after people that he's trained with, and that they, they are the elite. They're the, the best in the world, and they are very much hammered into looking after each other for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's what the Feathermen are. They're looking after ex-servicemen if, if they are or aren't real. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, it's almost like a, a Masons type society, isn't it? This sense of like, yeah, looking out for our own and 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 that idea, yeah. Yeah, but just less childish because the Masons seems like 
such a childish organization <laughs> with the secret handshakes and stuff. I know people who are in the Masons, and I'm just like, he said, Do you want to be one? And I said, I don't even know what one is. And he said, Well, you have to have like an initiation and you have to get a chicken and stuff like that. I was like, No, I'm all right. You know, it just sounds ridiculous. Like joining an American frat or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the plot because then, you know, we sort of drip fed it, haven't we? So, yeah, Danny is a mysterious but perhaps ex-special forces, which his whole kind of team are, aren't they? We don't really know, as you said, like what their background is. And he, in the opening scene, is shot in a mission that goes wrong because there's a kid in the car, so he retires. And then he's drawn back when his mentor, played by Robert De Niro, is captured in Oman, which I found quite interesting that they were happy to like name the country. Often in these movies, you get like, you know, random unnamed country or... It's true, though, isn't it? So the, they've got to use the country that the, the controversial thing's supposed to have happened because there was a big oil thing in Oman, and that's what this is supposed to be about. So I don't suppose they could sort of make up a country like they do in all the other movies. Yeah, like the, the old classic Valverde or where it might be. Yeah, you're right. So that's probably why they kept it to to where it to, to the country that it was originally based in, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, Hunter gets captured, doesn't he? And then so Stace Danny is tasked with killing three ex-servicemen who were responsible for the death of the Sheikh's three other three sons, if I followed it correctly. And he has to yeah. go and assassinate them and record their confession, doesn't he? And when he does that, Hunter will get released. And that's kind of where the plot kicks in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But one thing I wasn't sure of, and I don't know whether you know this or not, but was the child in the car, Ranulph Fiennes? Because why does... He flashed back to the kid when he's about to shoot Ronald Fiennes. That made no sense to me. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at their ages. I don't think so. I don't think their ages would line up, would they? I guess I just got the sense of it that, you know, that was what caused Danny to question who he was, wasn't it? And to retire and to walk away from that life. And he only came back because of the respect and the love for Hunter to save him, didn't he? So I think yeah. that was the moment when he probably just flashed back on the thing. You know, I don't want to kill anybody anymore. So. As we know in the movie, he decided not to kill the Fines writer character, didn't he? He just shot him in the leg and faked the death. So I think that's probably why it was just meant to be a, a reminder of, oh, I don't want to do this anymore for him in his head, but for the audience to see that. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes perfect sense. I'm a bit thick when it comes to like stuff like that. I just looked, I just thought, why is he flashing back to the kid when that's got nothing to do with sort of anything? I think what you're doing is you're adding a, a a more complex layer of storytelling that would have actually been really interesting. Well, yeah, but they've not gone into that with Jason Stephen. They tend not to, to deal with the complex <laughs> story of They don't. And as you said, this is based on a true story. So they are trying to, well, it's based on a true story. So they are trying to follow actually what happened, aren't they? Although this section obviously yeah. made up because Fines was not, I assume, shot in the leg and pretend assassinated. Not according to his his reports, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea of the of the. I don't mean. I'm sure he's written biographies. He's. I mean, he's lost fingers and stuff in with mm. frostbite, but I don't know whether he was ever shot in the leg. I think he might have just added that to make himself look. I mean, let's be honest, he's tough anyway. But I think he he might have just added that to make himself seem even tougher. But yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm kind of interested to pick up the book and see what it's like because it itself, when it came out, I believe was quite controversial because of the I think it was published at the time with like you decide whether you think this is fact or fiction which is a really fun like way to sell the book yeah I mean th- there's there's quite a lot of really famous people that were in the SAS so I mean he's made himself famous but there's there's big celebrities like uh, Roald Dahl was in the SAS and mm. Christopher Lee was obviously he's dead now but Christopher Lee was in the SAS mm-hmm and there's, there's quite a few. It, I mean, they were tougher back then. Old, old people, like 90-year-old men, were a lot tougher than we'll be when we're 90. So Yeah. And did have they ever written much about that time? Do you know if you delved into that? I don't think Christopher Lee has. I think Roald Armour published stuff, but Christopher Lee was... Some of the things that have happened to him, like there's a, I've seen a meme of Christopher Lee, and he is like as close to an actual superhero as you can get when you've... You've read the meme. The memes. I'll have to try and hunt it out and put it and tag you on it on Twitter. Mm. But it's ridiculous. Like the facts about him and what he, what he's experienced in his time. Because like when they asked him to to play 
to act being stabbed in one of his movies. He says, I don't need to act because he has been stabbed. Right. So he knew exactly how it felt. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he's, and like, I think shot, he said he didn't need to act like how he would do if he was shot because he has been shot and he knows what it feels like. And it's just like a different caliber of person. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. And as a segue, kind of makes me think of um, an interview I read with the state for this, actually. We know that he likes to do his own stunts so he likes to get as involved as he can and we spoke about that in the last episode when we were together but i read an interview with him um, with an ew reporter for this and again much like the trivia there's not much promotional material out there for this but when he was in this interview it's the first time that he's come across quite poorly i think he was quite like standoffish and quite like rude about how involved he was in the stunts um, this idea of like, well, why wouldn't I do that? Of course I do that. I'm a stunt guy. I do all my stunts. And they were talking about the fight with the chair scene. Oh, yeah. And, and all the reporter did was kind of just say like, well, you know, I assume you did some of that. But then when you're flipping with it, with your hands tied behind your back attached to a chair, I assume you didn't do that because they don't want to injure the main star. And he was like, well, yeah, of course I would do that. I mean, do you know who I am? And all this kind of stuff. It was just really interesting because he's just not normally like that. I'm guessing he was having a bad day. Oh yeah, it sounds like it, but I mean that chair scene is pretty, pretty impressive. So it is. I think it's the best scene in the movie, isn't it? Yeah, def- definitely. And where they're they're all fighting each other, like they're all after that that Mythwick guy. I, lo- I love that Mythwick bit where he says why he's called Mythwick. I just thought that was a really funny, unnecessary bit of the film, but I did think that was quite amusing. Yeah, so I mean, we've we've jumped right towards the end, haven't we? But. At this point, it's um, Clive Owen's Spike, isn't it? It's called Spike. Chase. He's been throughout the movie kind of stalking and chasing after Danny and trying to stop them committing these assassinations. And at this point, he's actually managed to capture Danny, hasn't he? But then it turns out there's like yeah. a double cross, isn't there, by the by the Featherman. I, I assume he's another Featherman or another MI agent. And it's the three of them in the room together, isn't it? Like fighting it out, duking it out, yeah. Yeah, he comes across, Clive Owen comes across as like, he's just like their lackey, isn't he? They're the Featherman who are totally secret, but he's like the, the guy who takes all the risks and, and does all the, the dodgy stuff for them, I think. And then the other guy is MI5, isn't he, I think. Okay. He's like, yeah, Clive Owen's Spike is like a fix-it guy, isn't he, essentially? Yeah. He's and I think obviously still obsessed with being in the military, but he's not, yeah. Yeah. And I think other than the... The, the, I think there was a pace about the movie and the way that the scenes cut together that reminded me of the Bourne movies. But I think his character, that sense of like bringing in another assassin to stop an assassin was the thing which which made me think of that, especially because Clive Owen is in the first Bourne movie. I was just about to say the comparisons don't help when Clive Owen was in both of them as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although I think... I mean, um, if we want to go back to this, if we want to jump yeah, back go. to the start of the movie, obviously, I just thought like... The Harris scene, it, they just discussed mm. how the SAS never give information and they used to torture nothing. But Harris just sings like a canary as soon as they tie him up. He's like, yeah, I killed him. <laughs> yeah, I did this. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, that wouldn't have happened. Not at all. Yeah, he's the first guy they go after, isn't he? And we just seen him earlier. He's flying a helicopter, isn't he? And he's like, like using the blades to blow the wind up, isn't he? Like against some of his, his team. So they set him up as being a bit of a dick, don't they? He actually remind me of... Yeah. Um, Ray Purchase from uh, Toast of London. I don't know if you watch Toast of London with Matt Berry. No, what's that? So it's like a comedy show where he's like a failed actor and he's trying to keep trying to break through. And his main rival is, a, is another actor called Ray Purchase and they always go out for the same roles. But it's a very like kind of the way that, I mean, obviously if you know Matt Berry, but like the way the show is set up is that they kind of overperform their lines and overperform their characters in an almost caricature way. And something about this guy's performance, just re- I couldn't get Ray Purchase out of my head, which is not a good thing in this moment because it's supposed to be, he's spo- you know, you're supposed to not like him and it's supposed to be tense. And I had comedy Matt Berry in my head, unfortunately. Yeah, he was quite comedic in the way he brought his character across. He sounded Australian as well as this. I mean, I have read that the only American in the movie is Robert De Niro. And, uh, uh, the majority of the people were Australian, from yeah. what I could read, at least. Yeah. 20 odd people were Australian. There were some, I mean, hence Ben Mendelsohn and Dominic Purcell and Yvonne Stravowski. And yeah, there were some wobbly accents in there, weren't there? 
yeah, definitely. What what was interesting is obviously hearing um Strahovski has name is so hard to say. Um hearing Yvonne Strahovski talking in a native accent was unusual, much like when you hear like Christian Bale talking his own accent because you're so used to them doing other accents. I've only ever really seen her perform as an American in like Chuck or in Handmaid's Tale or in um, The Tomorrow War with with uh, Chris Pratt. She's normally does such a good convincing American accent. It was weird hearing her talk Australian. Well, yeah, I mean, I've not, I've seen Tomorrow War and mm. I might have seen one episode of Chuck, but I knew, I'd heard her name, but I don't think I've seen her in anything, if I'm honest. She, I think she's a re- really underrated actress. I'm not, you know, this role is a bit thankless for her, to be honest. Um, but I think in terms of what she's done since, she's going to be a really powerful actress. I think she is amazing in Handmaid's Tale. Right. It's Handmaid's Tale. It's like an assassination thing, isn't it? No, that's based on um, the dystopian novel by Margaret Atwood about like a faction in America take over a large portion of it. They turn it into a new country called Gilead and they run it as like an ultra religious country. Oh, okay. I've not, I've not seen it. I, I obviously, I had no idea of what it was about. Mm. So she plays somebody who's like on the ultra, uh, initially anyway, on the ultra religious side, and she supports it. And it's you know like very much like patriarchal structure. Women are used to be, um, you know, like assistants in the home, but also because there's a fertility problem, fertile women are used to basically be baby makers and baby machines for the rich, powerful men. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's dark. It's not a fun, easy watch. Right, okay, yeah. And I think this should have been a bit darker, maybe. I don't know how you feel. I feel like I wanted a really gritty, dark thriller here, and I think the tone perhaps isn't quite right. No, the the, the tones aren't right, but, I mean, the kills were certainly... Mm. They certainly weren't sort of shying away from gruesome kills. Mm. That's true. Which I thought was good. I mean, when Dominic takes out that artist guy mm. i mean my wife walked in just as that happened and she's like oh, oh that's a bit much isn't it i was like yeah i suppose it is to be honest yeah well i guess they're all ruthless aren't they they've all spent their lives doing this kind of action in the in the name of what's right here and you know there is no right and wrong the gray is quite interesting isn't it and i think the the setup where the the deaths are, are initially supposed to look like accidents aren't they in a mechanic kind of way, yeah. that quickly falls apart, doesn't it, too? Yeah, the, the guy in the glasses, I didn't think really fit in the team. I didn't mm. sort of... I mean, he didn't come across as much of an assassin. He obviously struggled with Harris in the bathroom and ended up shooting him or whatever. Yeah. And I just yeah, I just thought he didn't really fit into the team. Yeah, the Maya character, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just looking his name up. Yeah, yeah that's true, because they, when they're with Harris, aren't they, they've fashion this like hammer haven't they out of the tiles which match the tiles in his bathroom and they're going to hit him on the back yeah. of the head and make it look like he slipped haven't they but his girlfriend turns up doesn't she and is knocking at the door so they're distracted yeah whenever Maya's involved things seem to go wrong don't they yeah they do yeah when I first watched it and Jason Statham like rips the shower curtain I thought well wouldn't he have fingerprints but then if it was in the 80s they wouldn't have had fingerprints would they so it would have been like an open and shut case back then, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Because, yeah, that one goes wrong, doesn't it? And then the second assassination, because the art guy is just an additional, isn't it? That's just um, when well, he goes to get information from him, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, Dominic Purcell, Purcell seems to be a bit of a, a loose cannon. He obviously failed mm. SAS selection. I think he's probably ended up in the team because he doesn't give a shit about killing people and murdering people because he's not as well trained as as Harris or, or uh, De Niro's character I've forgotten his name Hunter, but he doesn't seem it? as well trained as them he obviously failed the selection process which he talks about because mm. he was in the Paris so I think he's just been taken on because of his lack of empathy and he doesn't care who he kills sort of thing yeah that's interesting because it makes him in that classic kind of storytelling way a bit more of a liability to the team doesn't it yeah, that's what I thought he was, because he's—I mean—he's shown his face in in pubs where pr- pr- primarily it's literally just full of SAS soldiers. So they would know that he wasn't from the area because Hereford is just like rammed with people in the SAS. That's mm. where they all stay and where they all drink. 
and he just wouldn't fit in whatsoever. And he just starts asking questions. So, plus, he's got an Australian accent. So, yeah. they're all, they're already going to think, well, he's definitely not been with us guys. But he's got an Australian accent, but he's been in the Paris. So, I can only assume he, he t- he's talking about the Australian Paratroop Regiment. Well, I think that's another case, unfortunately, in this movie where he's not supposed to be Australian. He's just not very good at doing the accent. Right. Okay. That makes more sense. But... That was the sense I got. I, thought, if... I think he was supposed to be British, but he just couldn't pull it off. But then how have they all met? If if Stephen's Australian and he's American, how have they all met each other? I'm guessing. Well, I mean, Hunter. Yeah, Hunter's American, isn't he? I'm guessing he's just drawn them from these different ex-military forces to create his killer elite team, hasn't he? Yeah, maybe, yeah. And he's just he's just formed the team, hasn't he? They're just sort of a mercenary team, aren't they? Well, that's how we meet them at the start, anyway. Yeah. I did look into the loaf of bread thing, and apparently a loaf of bread would work as a silencer, because he uses one, doesn't he, when he tries to rescue on there. But it yeah. would completely destroy any accuracy, but it would muffle the sound, apparently. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That's a nice little note. Yeah, so- I, I just... I did bits of research that, that I thought I could because there wasn't a lot on IMDb, to be honest. Mm, no, you're right. What did you think of that scene? So that's back towards the start when the States, um, Danny's trying to rescue Hunter from the Oman group, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, it was a good a good attempt at escape, but I would have thought that they were anticipating something like that from a from somebody who was part of the team like that. Anyway, mm. they would have assumed he was going to try and make a break for it because Hunter had already tried to make a break for it anyway. That's mm. why he'd been locked up in the first place, hadn't he? Yeah, which I guess they did because they were waiting behind the escape doors, weren't they? But they're quite willing to let several of their guards just get ruthlessly murdered. Yeah. I mean, it looked like Stephen was avoiding killing him at first because he was sort of... He was knocking him unconscious, and then he wasn't really... Then he shot somebody in the leg. I think he was trying to avoid killing innocent people, but then it kind of went to shit when they were struggling and had no choice. Yeah. It's interesting, because I think we so often expect Stace movies to be action-heavy, and I don't know if this one is. That is a pretty decent scene. It's well shot. We have the scene which we've alluded to where we have the big through a face-off and that's probably the best action scene well choreographed and with the the element of the stage tied to the chair was interesting also done in the done the same year the following year in the avengers of course with black widow when she was tied to the chair i was thinking that i wonder if they drew from Mm. killer elite for that because it was a very similar scene it was wasn't it yeah and then the other big main action scene is the fight in the hospital isn't it between spike and danny as well yeah. But I didn't think it was I don't think it was particularly heavy on action. For a film called Killer Elite about a team of assassins, I don't know, I guess I maybe I thought it would be a bit more action heavy. I think they were trying to to make a gritty thriller that mm. I mean, I, I do love the movie, I'm not trying to shy away from that, but mm. I think they were trying to make it a lot more story heavy and, and gritty than it was I mean the writer and director I've looked them up and they've done absolutely nothing apart from this so mm. I think they were just trying to make a mark and, and maybe go a bit further and make something decent after this but I don't think I don't think it's a terrible movie I think no. I, I do still think it's good. I've watched it three times in the last week because I kept getting interrupted and then I've had to go back and, and watch it again so I've watched it, it three times but not in full each time sort of thing mm. I think it does everything well. I just don't know if it all comes together to be a great movie. Yeah, it's 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 not going to get anyone any Oscars. But I mean, I've I've come to realise that I'm just as long as there's action. I mean, I still watch Steven Seagal films, and I know how sort of rubbish <laughs> they are and how controversial he is as a as an action star. But his movies are still good. I still enjoy them. Mm. No, that I mean, listen. We all, we all love our own type of bad movies, don't we? And we all, we're all drawn to them. And I don't think anybody ever needs to excuse that. I think just like what you like, and that's absolutely fine. I mean, my comfort movies are like Demolition Man and and then Shooters, probably one of the movies I've watched more than any other with Mark Wahlberg. And there's a lot of un, unrealistic stuff in that, but hmm. it, I just I can always put it on. If I don't know what to watch, I'll always go and reach for something like that. Hmm. Fair enough. I did wonder why. I get why the Sheikh asks them to get the confessions, 
that makes perfect sense, right? He wants to see them admit their guilt before they die. I get that kind of... I don't understand why they asked them to make the executions look like accidents. I don't, I don't know why that was a yeah, problem I, that mattered. Yeah, I thought that. I just I just didn't think... They've, they've killed his son, so hmm. why would he not... Why would he care how they were killed? Surely he'd want them to suffer or just be murdered outright and wouldn't care about any of that. I did think that myself. The accident thing didn't really make any sense. Yeah, whether they were worried about like further retribution back the other way or what, I don't know. But it was an added plot element, which I think, and, and added to the way, they did add something to the movie. I'm just not sure I fully understand why it was like something that he deliberately wanted. No, I don't. I don't. I don't unless he... He's got to get the admissions to to get himself back into the tribe or whatever his family back into the tribe, but he can't look like he's got that through threatening them. So mm. I suppose he might sort of say that the confessions come so such and such, and then they've just died a few weeks later or whatever as an accident. I don't know whether he wanted to shy away from the being assassinated and then being the cause mm. of that. That's an interesting point. Then they could have made them all look like suicides, couldn't they? Like, oh, because they've now confessed, they all feel bad they've all killed themselves that might have been a another angle that's interesting yeah but it works in the second one doesn't it because the second one is the one you spoke about before is it the brecon beacons when they're up in the hills yeah that's a clever one isn't it when they like they um put something into his drink don't they which like activates whilst he's walking yeah yeah it's some it's an insulin part of it but it's something else mm. first and then insulin speeds his heart rate up or something and then that's it's clever what they do and it obviously works for them because mm, he kind of gets into a shock doesn't he and then the idea is that he'll then be out in the hills and he'll just die of like exposure or hypothermia i suppose or like some you know and that's what will make it look like an accident isn't it the, the fact about someone dying every year on that march is is quite true as well because it really is that tough they always go when it's snowing as well and stuff like that that's what I was going to ask because they mentioned at the movie that you know that this would look realistic because, and and you think that is a part which actually is realistic. Yeah, that that is quite true. People definitely wow. die on that march because because they they push. It's I don't know whether it's fair. It's something like a fifty mile or sixty mile walk, but you've got a full pack as well, and they always mm. do it when the weather's terrible because obviously it's South Wales and. When it snows, it's it's terrible, terrible weather, and that's when they always plan it. So it's that it's as hard as it can be, sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's quite. Well, I mean, I guess that really does tell you who is able to do the job or not, doesn't it? Oh, the SAS are, are, are by far. I mean, my brother was special forces, but not the SAS. But the SAS are by far the the best in the world, sort of thing. They they really are. The, the, the elites, they make the Navy SEALs look like nothing, which they say in a movie, but they really do. The Navy SEALs are nothing compared to like the SAS. Mm. So, and then really it just all goes to shit from there, doesn't it? Because Spike's on them. He starts taking out Danny's team, doesn't he? So we lose Maya yeah. in, in an accident, but but that third killing, although they kill their target, it all goes wrong, doesn't it? It's like a car crash and... And then, then, then the new kid on the team accidentally kills Maya, doesn't he, by shooting him? Yeah, yeah, he's he's panicked and just been trying to save him, not even thought about the the repercussions, I suppose. Yeah, so Maya goes first, doesn't he? Which maybe makes sense why he as a character isn't as efficient and isn't as good as the others because that sets up for that he'd be the one that would go first. I mean, he comes across as the as the clever guy, doesn't he? Because he's the one who sets up the remote control. Mm. on the lottery and stuff. I think he might be the, the like the intelligence guy or mm. the guy who sets stuff up for them that when they need something special doing or whatever. I don't think he is the the action in the, the military sort of... Mm. He, he'll be ex-military, but in regards to fighting and shooting, that's not his sort of job, I don't think. That makes sense. Because then Davies is caught, isn't he, which is the Dominic Purcell character. And then in his attempt to escape, he gets hit by a truck, doesn't he? Yeah, that was pretty graphic, that scene. Yeah. I think he's good in those moments, Dominic Purcell, like selling the intensity of the role. I mean, I watched Prison Break when it came out and I liked particularly the first season a lot. I'm not sure I've ever really seen him do anything else where he's been quite as good as in that show. No, no, I agree. I mean, the first season of Prison Break is probably one of the, the best seasons of television ever made. But then 
to keep putting him in other prisons. And then obviously when they come to the, the final series, they knew they couldn't use a prison. So they just went completely off the rails and did something completely different. The first series I started at about nine o'clock in the evening and then didn't go to bed. So I've watched the entire series. Oh, wow. And I, I've rewatched it since then, but I was that drawn in by when it ended. I couldn't wait to find out what, what happened mm-hmm. next. So I just literally watched the whole thing in one go. Yeah, it's just something about, I don't know, I just can't, and I don't know what I would put him in as a, as, I don't know what role I would pick for him either, where I feel like I know I would get the the best for me. He's just somebody who just never feels like he's quite found, other than um, in Prison Break, quite found that role for him. It's a shame. No, I mean, Wentworth Miller's not really done anything no. much either. I mean, they were both in bloody... Oh, that did that Marvel thing together, but they were terrible in that. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, he plays Captain Cold, Wentworth Miller, and mm, I've not seen I it. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. Oh, right. It's like a spin off from. Oh, no, it's a DC. It's a spin off from Arrow and the Flash, I think. But I, oh, okay. Yeah, I know what you mean. But I can't... Yeah, I can't think what the title of it is. Now I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both in that as really, really naff superheroes. Mm hmm. Okay. But you're right. It's funny how often that happens, isn't it? These actors in TV shows have these really big, like, starring roles, and they're so perfect for it, then they struggle, don't they, once that show finishes to find something else? Yeah. In terms of the end of the movie, what did you think? So we have... So, yeah, Davis is killed, and then, basically, Danny help. Danny goes back to see Anne, and then they realise that they're in Australia, and they're going to go after him. So they run away to France and he leaves Anne with Hunter, who has been released because at this point he's convinced to shake that he's done all the killings. And then everything just seems to like happen really quick, doesn't it? And then it's like, there's, there's, there's the, there's there's the cool scene. There's the fight between, between Spike and Danny. But then once they go back to a man, it just all seems to wrap up quick and without any kind of fanfare. Well, what I did think is once the Sheik's died, because obviously Spike kills the sheik, mm, mm-hmm, and mm. it's it's completely obvious that the son absolutely hates his father anyway. And then Danny goes to meet the son in the hotel. If he'd killed the son in the hotel, the whole thing would be over. He'd already taken out his bodyguards. All he had to do was shoot him, and it was finished. He wouldn't have had to do anything else mm. because there was no one else to come after him. No, it's true. Well, other than Spike, I suppose, because he had this like sense of not stopping, doesn't he? But yeah, no, that's definitely right. And because it's hinted that the sheik's son was involved in the killings of his brothers wasn't it it's so he could like, yeah. have ultimate power and take over by himself and that would have been a good segue because he was a proper daddy's boy that's why he was mm. living in that bunker with his dad so we could have used that as a segue earlier because he come across as a bit of a, a daddy's boy didn't he yeah definitely there's just like a bit of a bit of a car chase isn't there between danny spike and the sheik son's men which is Hunter steps in, doesn't he, and stops um, the Sheik's sons. I don't know what. Well, I guess he's. I don't know what his official title is by this point because he's he's now in charge, isn't he? But those men get stopped yeah. by Hunter shooting the engine out of the car, don't don't they? And then it's just left with Danny and, and Spike. And I guess, and maybe it's done in order to go against convention. I guess in convention is you have that final fight between the two two guys, but they sort of stand around their cars and chat for a couple of minutes. Stafe goes. I'm out and you should be out too. And Spike says, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll see if I find you down the line. And that's it. That's the end of the movie. It was a bit odd. Yeah. I think maybe they did what you like, what you said, just wanted to shy away from the obvious hmm. fights at the end and Spike gets killed. Or maybe they had a sequel in mind that was not going to be based on a true story and just have Spike come after Danny, but the film failed miserably in the box office or whatever. Yeah, I did wonder whether they had a kind of a sequel sequel sense where they wanted to bring bring them back or like, yeah, oh, now they're teaming up or like, yeah, now Spike's looking for Danny across the world. Or yeah, I wondered that too. See, the problem with movies now is almost every movie is, is set up with an ending that could potentially spawn a sequel. Nobody's interested in just making a one-hit wonder. They're always eyeing mm. the sequel. Mm. It's true. And that could have ruined the end of this. Yeah, I mean, this is back in 2011, but I think by then we are already in like kind of the MCU cycle, aren't we? We're well into like, obviously there's been many, many franchises, even like the Bournes as such, which 
yeah, I just looked up, finished in 2007. So they've managed to get three out of that concept as well. So you're right. I do wonder if that's what, what they were thinking of doing, because, of course, Bourne Supremacy picks up, doesn't it, with Bourne and, um, forgive me, I, I can't remember her character's name, the Franca Potente character from, from the first movie, like together and being found out somewhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I did wonder if, yeah, you, I'm on the same page as you with that a sequel idea set up. I'm forever calling out Hollywood and Marvel and Disney on Twitter because they are just getting really lazy and everything's a remake or everything's a sequel of something that died ten years ago and they're just they're just running out of imagination. I think you need to go and see the creator. You've got people. Yeah, I want to see that. I really do. But like people like Ryan. Uh, I can't remember his surname who did the creator, didn't he? Is that who did it? It is. No. Why is the name escaping me? It's Gareth Edwards who did Rogue One. And oh, did Gareth Mon- Edwards, yeah. Rogue Godzilla. One. Yeah. Yeah, pe- people like him and then uh, the other guy, Ryan, who did one of the Star Wars films. Ryan Johnson. Really... Yeah, that's getting slated for it. They're the ones who've got the imagination, but Disney just don't like it because they just want to stick to... Stuff you know works because they're on about remaking the original Star Wars trilogy. Now Disney, I've heard on on the great. Oh, plan. really? Okay. And although special effects could be spectacular, maybe that side of it would be amazing. We we don't need to to see the same movies again. I'll, I'll go and watch them, and it won't ruin the originals for me. But they just seem to be. I don't know. Some of the films that come out. I mean, I went to watch Trolls with Mika yesterday, and I thought mm. it was absolutely amazing. But cartoons seems to be better than movies at the moment. A lot more imagination being put into cartoons and animation than there is into actual movies. Yeah, well, I mean, like I say, you know, I'll echo and I'll just say, I know, I'll quote myself. Definitely go and see the creator because that is original. It it feels like a one-off. It doesn't feel like it it wants to do any more. It's just got a, a vision of what's to tell in that one movie. So I can't recommend that one enough. Yeah, there's a Ryan Johnson thing coming out soon as well that really appeals to me as well. I can't remember what that's called, but the creator looks brilliant. Mm, yeah, definitely see it. But you're right, this did massively flop. So whether they had sequel plans or not, it wasn't going to happen. So this cost 70 million Killer Elite to make, which is, I thought, quite a surprisingly large number, but maybe Robert De Niro took a nice cut of that. And it only made... I was 50... going to say, it's going to be wages, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It only made 56.4 million at the box office. So, right. yeah, it lost money. Jason Staven will have been commanding a decent amount of money by then, and that's true. Robert De Niro certainly wouldn't have done it cheap. Mm. I don't suppose Clive Owen would have been. I mean, he wouldn't have mm. been in the same ballpark as Robert De Niro and Jason Staven, but he'll have had a million, maybe two million. So yeah, probably definitely. was always just because there's not anything really been spent on special effects or anything like that. No, you wouldn't have thought so. It did remind me again of how much I wish Clive Owen had been given a shot at Bond. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they're milking this Bond thing. For, I'm sick of hearing who could be the next Bond. Mm. I wish they'd just say who is the next Bond. I mean, it's too late for him now, but I think, you know, he, he did Croupier, which I don't know if you ever saw that movie, was a really like low-budget drama. And that was one that everyone was saying, oh, wow, like he should be given a chance at Bond. And then just that his name never really came up that much again. But I think he would have been a really good one. See, my idea for Bond was... Uh... Wow, I forgot his name. The guy for oh yeah, Taron Edgerton because they were on about someone who could do it for 10, 15 years and, mm. and be young enough and he is young enough and he did well as a, as a secret agent in the uh oh, the Kingsman. Yeah, in the Kingsman and I think he is a very, very good actor. So I had if he wanted to start something young, I had him in mind, but then when he were on about having a coloured bond, I think he just I would make a very good bond. But also that other guy, the, the young black guy that's in Doctor Who, he could make a good bond. There's quite a few mm. like people who could do it. Yeah, I think Idris is aged out now, unfortunately, isn't he? Yeah, I know he's too old. That's what I thought, because he wouldn't even get 10 years of bond, so mm. they're not going to take someone like him. But I think they are going to go young. They've already... The only thing they've ruled out is a female one, isn't it? That's the only thing the Broccoli's have said, that they're not going to have a female one. Yeah, when I've seen it come up and I've spoken to people myself online about it, what I'd really, what I would want if it was my perfect Bond, I don't know if you've watched Gangs of London, the TV series. Uh, I haven't watched it, but I do want to watch it. I've got a friend who's in it. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, it's a great show, well worth a watch. But they're one of the main stars in that, Soap Dirisu. 
he he is kind of like a younger, in my opinion, like a younger Idris Elba. So he'd right. be great. And actually, I think um, Gareth Evans, the the creator of that first season, and the guy that did the raid and the raid two. Yeah. Just put them together. Give Gareth Evans the the bond and let him bring Soap Dirisi with him. That would be my dream for for the next bond. Yeah. I mean, I've always loved Bond. I am more of a fan of from Pierce Brosnan onwards because I just think the old ones are too too corny now. I obviously watched them when I was a child, but I don't really revisit them. But I will rewatch it any of the Brosnan, any of the Craigs, even even though the the CGI and the the Brosnan Bonds is possibly the worst CGI that's ever <laughs> yeah. been put onto film. I do enjoy those ones. I just think it's a lot more realistic that the gadgets could exist in the newer Bonds rather mm. than the old mm-hmm. Bonds. I think that's why I watch them. Yeah, fair enough. All right, before we start wrapping up, excuse me, um, this came out in 2011. This is one of those years where the state had lots of films out in a year again. So we had obviously Killer Elite. We also had Blitz. We had The Mechanic. And we had Nomeo and Juliet. So four safe releases all in the same calendar year. What do you think is the best one amongst those four? Uh, I'm, I'm going to go for the mechanic, probably. Hmm, okay. I mean, you absolutely destroyed Nomeo and Juliet, but I think it's a very good kids film. It was really interesting because that you feel that way because I I thoroughly enjoyed it watching it too. But I think Mike and I just went down this wormhole of picking out all the things which are weird about the concept. You're right, but you know, as a film, I watched it with my two boys. We had a good time watching it. Yeah. Sherlock Gnome. Have you watched Sherlock Gnome, Joe? Well, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not nowhere near as good. Yeah, it's not as good, but I don't. I mean, I I I don't really look at anything from an adult perspective. I just look at. Are my kids gonna like this? So I find it hard to yeah. like trolls. My kids were absolutely even my fifteen-year-old lad who said I'm not going to watch trolls, but we took him anyway. He ended up loving it as well. So he's just trying to be the typical teenage boy who's oh I'm not watching that crap. But but then when he's watching it, he can't stop watching it, sort of thing. So why do you think the mechanic is? better compared to Killer Elite? What do you think helps it stand out? I just think it's much better written and uh, there's just, I don't know, the storyline's much more conceivable and even though that's based on a true story, I think they put a a lot of crap in it that won't be true and just to try and boost it a little bit, but the mechanic's just better written. I can't remember who, whether it was a famous director that did the mechanic or not, but these guys have never done anything since or rarely done anything beforehand, and you, that sort of shows in the killer elite, I think. Mm. Even though you do, obviously, as you you said, you like it and you you can watch it a lot. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I can watch it a lot, and I don't mind it, but when you revisit something to to criticise it, it sort of it takes some of that away from it because you're not just watching it as a throwaway action film. You're watching it and picking all all the bits out of it. Like one of the things that grated on me the most was when Ben Mendelsohn's in the desert taking photographs of the movies. Mm-hmm. Special Forces. There's no way he would position himself somewhere where the sun would reflect off his camera mm-hmm. because he'd be trained not to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think because these guys were supposed to be so skillful, I think you could have found a different way to show that Danny, that the stage character was aware of him being there. It could have been something much more subtle, couldn't it? He could have smelt him coming like yeah, yeah. John Matrix. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Love that reference. Yeah, the, the good old days. And the only other thing I've got to say about this is I did think the bee, the hornet's nest was very clever that he backed the mm. hornet's nest when he was running away. That was a very clever way to get rid of them. So that's towards the end, isn't it? When um, Spike's running through the caverns below is that no it's in the desert it's in, the, it's in that oh, same desert right. scene yeah 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 you're right so he's they're running through the cavern aren't they and they're chasing him yeah Maya's up top isn't he yeah, yeah you're right yeah, yeah yeah so that's the Ben Mendelsohn character getting away he sort of disappears from the movie doesn't he yeah he does yeah he was I don't think he was very well known back then was he I don't think no 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 he's probably on the cusp of becoming known isn't he yeah he's a good actor now he's definitely mm. shown his merit since then and what do you think of the state in this? Do you think this is a role that asks a lot of him? Do you think he's coasting a little bit? Where, what do you think about him in the movie particularly? I think anything sort of 
this sort of action-based stuff, it's it's easy for Stavem. It's what he does. I don't think he'd have had much trouble in this movie. Mm. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think he's offering... I don't think he's phoning it in. I, I say this a lot. I don't think he ever really phones it in. But I don't think he's offering a lot here either. I think he's in a in an easy place in his career where he's happy to just kind of turn up and do what he does and and enjoy the process, but without without pushing himself too much. I think he's in a position that we all dream of. We all dream of a job where we can turn up, get it done, no problem, get paid. And, and I think that's why he sticks to the movies that he does because it's it's natural for him. It's easy for him to do it. And he, he picks up, he gets paid for that. So why not? Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Like my, my job isn't hard, but I just have to accept that I'm out till nine, ten o'clock every night. If I can get past that, my job's not particularly difficult. I mean, I was out in those floods and that terrible storm the other week, but hmm. in the end, we, we did abandon. We The bosses told us to go back because it was too dangerous, but I was driving through like 12 inches of water at some point. So it was absolutely horrific. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad that you would, you know, call, call back in, like your safety comes paramount, then whether... They waited till we nearly finished the call the <laughs> and it was like eight o'clock when we got the <laughs> Of course they did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just to make you feel like we're calling you back and we'll do it an hour before the end. But they had they, they usually get about three hundred returns a night at that depot, which is just like people who aren't in or people can't sign. And they got uh two and a half thousand back that oh, night. Wow, so okay. Obviously it causes everyone an issue, it causes them an issue, it causes us an issue, customers don't get what they've ordered. It I I understand it's a knock on effect, but no, nobody's package is worth drivers risking breaking down in water and getting sort of abandoned in the pitch black in the middle yeah. of fucking nowhere. Yeah. I was in Shropshire. Right. If I'd have had some phones to be rescued, I wouldn't have had a clue where it was. No, absolutely not. And, you know, we we all order stuff that we want sent to us in the post. We want it as quickly as possible, but, well, you know, sent uh, to be delivered as quickly as possible. But, um, yeah, I would never want anybody to be put at risk for that. Thing is, though, it's given me a completely total different respect because I used to moan how Amazon, like everyone does on social media, how the different delivery companies leave on your doorstep and run off and mm-hmm. and everyone makes a joke out of it. But we have to sometimes deliver 180 parcels in nine hours. So we haven't got time for people to take 10 minutes to come to the door, which people do. I've, I've been at doors and it took people six or seven minutes to get to the front door. Now, I don't know how big their house is, but <laughs> it's pretty inconceivable that it takes anybody 10 minutes to get to the front door. Unless you're delivering to Buckingham Palace, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, like, you're walking away and the customer will open the door and I'm just thinking, why did... Unless they've been in the bath or something, but mm-hmm. they don't come to the door like they've been in the bath or anything like that, so... It's totally changed my perspective on delivery drivers because I know yeah. that you've got to leave it at people's doors and run off, basically. That's amazing how, like, sometimes you need that. You know, I cycle everywhere, um, but I do have a driver's license as well. And I think, and of course, so you use public transport. So I sort of feel like I'm aware of all of those different methods of, of traveling. When I drive, I'm really careful near cyclists. I can tell you right now, there are a lot of drivers that are not. And that's probably because they don't cycle because they're not aware of themselves the risks inherent that come with it. So you're right. Until you get that perspective, until you know that perspective of all the different facets of delivery or safety or, yeah, I don't think you can truly know, can you? No, definitely not. All right, let's do some reviews and then we'll get your final review, shall we? Yeah, yeah, that's fine, yeah. Okay, Danny B says, Killery has a great cast and premise that is wasted in a massively dull Statham action film. This thing goes on about half an hour too long. There's some okay action, and Clive Owen plays an interesting character that should have been explored more. Robert De Niro just pops up for a few minutes. Definitely one of the lower-end Statham action films. Lacks the energy and entertainment value of Statham's usual films. I'm going to assume you don't agree. Well, Danny B. Danny B is wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that's particularly harsh, I think. Chuck Dowling says... It's totally fine with some impressive action sequences, but it also has that kind of blink and you've lost the plot quality to it, unfortunately. What happened to the other moustache guy? Why is he fighting that guy? I thought they were friends. Is he the one pretending to be British? Etc. I mean, accents-wise, I'm going to agree with him. The accents are horrific and you don't know where anybody's supposed to be from in this movie, apart from De Niro. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I think, you know, we mentioned that Mendelssohn just kind of disappears. There is that element of sometimes like who's doing 
not who's doing what now, but like, why have they disappeared from the plot? Why aren't they involved anymore? I think there is a sense of that in the film too. And Clive Owen, it's obvious where Clive Owen's from because he lives in a flat like Del Boy in a block of flats in London. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay, Lou Shoemaker says, I get why people don't like this movie, but it basically worked for me. There is definitely a clash between the genre and the tone of the movie. It's a somber spy film that's been retrofitted into a Jason Statham action movie. The movie works better when it's a bunch of old soldiers bitterly refusing to let go of the past than it, than it does when Jason Statham is flipping around and kicking people in the head. It also doesn't help that the action is shot and cut into an incoherent mess. The action that does work, however, when it's Statham falling off buildings and getting hurt, I mean, it really looks like it hurts. Oh, and I've absolutely no idea what Robert De Niro is doing here. Statham remains as cool as ever, but I think he was miscast in this role. He's supposed to be a retired mercenary who is wearied of fighting, but he's very obviously someone who has kept his body in peak physical shape for the express purpose of kicking ass. Not only that, but his presence seems to be what turns this movie from a based on a true story spy drama into a movie where it's that, but then every 20 minutes he beats up like 15 people. But then, would I have watched this if it hadn't starred Statham? Absolutely not. Yeah, Lou Shoemaker has got good points, I think. That sort of hits the nail on the head. People have only watched this movie because he's in it. Mm. And Robert De Niro's just been in it just for a paycheck, because he really isn't in it much at all. So he's just done it as a quick book, I think. Yeah. And it's what Scott and I discussed about Blitz as well, that sense of, like, you can tell this is a movie that's been changed because of the safe presence. And sometimes, although that's the reason you watch it, it doesn't quite mesh together. And I think that, I think that's probably true. It's probably happened here as well. Yeah. Waldo says, this is kind of forgotten for some reason I don't understand. SAS agents, English soldiers from tough special black ops, from tough special black ops guys, some of the guys are getting taken out. So they go get the guys who went after the guys who went to get the original guys. Spectacular action from director Gary McKendry. Clive Owen has a couple of fights with Statham that are, are you fucking kidding me? It's set in the 80s. De Niro has a couple of really cool scenes. Statham and that chair. This is an underrated actioner. Yeah, I mean, it's underrated, maybe in comparison with other action movies, but in, in sort of regards to Jason Statham, it's probably on par with some of his other movies. I mean, I don't know what was out around the same time, but it's as as we've said on this, it's not as good as The Mechanic, but mm. I still think it's a decent movie. Mm. No, I agree. All right, so what did you think, mate? In terms of our Statham ratings, do you think this is uh, like a classic worth catching or for completists only? Uh, I I don't think it's a classic. I think worth catching is it's definitely worth watching if you've not seen it and if you don't watch it from a critical point of view. I think mm -hmm. it's a good movie. Yeah, I think that's. If I'd fair. never watched it to criticize it, then I'd still have it higher than I have now got it. That's interesting. Yeah, and that's really. I think I guess that's true for all of our experiences of watching films and watching TV and reading books and comics that we love. When you're just reading it for the enjoyment, you don't pick up on those things that you want to nitpick on, do you? Because I wouldn't have looked at him shooting through a loaf of bread and thought, is that possible? Mm. Unless I wanted to criticise the movie, I'd have just gone, oh, that's clever. Mm. Like, like in Shooter, he uses, like, a, an empty soda bottle as a silencer, and that mm. works, and that apparently works as well. But unless you're criticising the film, you just accept that that's possible, and that, that's the end of it. Yeah. And what's interesting about your rating is that that really epitomises this era for the state. So that's all four of these movies from 2011 that have all been rated worth catching. Yeah. So he really is in this kind of like easy, safe, comfortable place at the moment. He's not pushing himself. So he's not either having the really highs of the, the classics, which are progressing his career, but he's also not like making really massive missteps and, and doing anything that um, is for completers only. He's just really in this kind of middle ground. I think Expendables 4 is, is dangerous for him, but then as long uh -huh. as people treat that as a, uh, as a Stallone vehicle rather than a Stephen vehicle, I think he's okay. But I mean, Expendables four, I was not expecting to not like, and it was it was terrible. Yeah, um, Max sent me a link the other day about how um, it only ended up with sixteen million domestically in America from its budget, 
which is not. I never for one second thought that I would not enjoy that movie, but even the CGI is terrible. Oh, yeah, it's really awful, isn't it? And I hear what you're saying, but unfortunately, I think it is a Stath movie, not a Stallone movie. But luckily, he's had so many other films out this year that have done really well. You know, he's had Fast X, which has made a lot of money. I know he's not in that a lot, but he's had Meg 2, which has been successful. He was in Operation Fortune. So I think hopefully he will escape the the debacle that is the Expendables for. I love the Fast and Furious movies. I mean, nine, I don't like, but ten, ten I thought, made up for nine. Nine was, when he sent the car into space, that was just mm. so ridiculously un- unbelievable that I just, I can't watch nine, but I think ten's okay, to be honest. Yeah, I haven't actually seen it yet. It's missing in my gap. I'm Are you starting them all, aren't you? Say? You're starting them all, aren't you? From the, from the start? Yeah. I did that but when nine... I heard you say... Well, I did that when nine came out. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to cycle all the way back through. I just missed 10 when it was out in the cinema, unfortunately. So I'm just going to wait until it's right. on streaming. And then I basically, I I think I'd heard probably for Max, to be fair, that Stath wasn't in it very much. And I think it was around a busy period. So I was just like, actually, do you know what? I'll just wait and I'll catch it on streaming. Because I knew I'd see it before the year was out. I love Hobson Shaw, but a lot of people don't like that. But I think Hobson Shaw is great. Yeah, I do too. I think it's great fun. And um, Scott actually nailed it when he reviewed that and said it was like a modern day Tango and Cash. Yeah, Tango and Cash is such a great movie, but that is quite true, yeah. All right, mate. So you are back in a few more weeks because you're kind of going to come back for Homefront. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that one. That's the next one we've got lined up. All right, mate. Well, thanks once again for coming on the show. And thank you, everyone, for listening and partaking in this journey with me through the Stace filmography. That was Killer Elite. Next up in a fortnight is Safe, starring Scott Weatherly in his hat-trick appearance, followed by the return of Max Berm, as Christmas comes early this year, because we're going to discuss The Expendables 2, for anyone that is watching along. I've been I'm Jack's Musings, and that's J-A-C-S, and you can find me on X where I'm most active. You can also contact the show directly on X under the name Back to the Filmog. Make sure you use the hashtag FollowTheFilmography. I'm also a proud member of the Comics Emotion family, a super place full of the world's greatest people dedicated to bringing you podcasts on a variety of geeky topics. So please make sure you take the time to search, subscribe and rate our shows whenever and wherever you listen. Until next time, be excellent to each other and make sure you take the time to treat yourself too. I am Jack signing off. Yippee-ki-yay, movie lovers. Well, well, well. It isn't Stephen Toast. Tell us more about your substantial charity work, Toast. Love to hear about it. I specifically told Jane I never wanted to work with you again. Well, tough tit, Toast. Stephen Toast, everyone. Now buy your pint with one hand and sleep with your wife with the other. Cut.